0: So it's the third Sunday of Epiphany, and our theme is Enlightened in the Telling. As week by week, we encounter Jesus, the storyteller in the Gospel of Luke. Two weeks ago, Jesus spoke to us first through the parable of the two debtors. He told us that every one of us owes a debt that we cannot pay, some greater, some lesser, But that he has forgiven every one of us and it tends to be those who had to be forgiven the most who understand the depth of his love the most and then last week uh, vivian spoke to us um, on behalf of lord jesus uh, the parable of the prodigal sons jesus told us of this boundless compassion of a father who when his wayward son comes humbly walking back to him he runs out to meet him when his obstinate older son refuses to join the party and the celebration he goes out to meet him this father who goes after those who have been distant from him and this week jesus speaks to us the parable of the rich fool as it's been named he addresses the economic habits of the human heart and what do we invest and why And I'm really thankful that Jesus addresses money. Not that I find what he says very easy most of the time on the topic, (laughs) but that I often wonder where else would I find grace and truth in these matters if it were not for him speaking to me so clearly. And I know that many of us come to this topic with like a whole host, uh, from a whole host of different experiences. There are those of us that have grown up always having more than we needed Um, We've never known times of want, only times of plenty. There are some of us that have come out of this COVID season having lost jobs or struggled financially or wondered, how are we going to make ends meet, and maybe are even asking those questions right now. And there may be some of us who have struggled with want many times in our lives, but for some reason we are in a place where the Lord has given us a new plenty, and we're wondering, how, Lord, do I steward this plenty that you've given so we've come to it from many different places, but, but Jesus speaks to all of us the same, to give us truth and grace in this matter of money. Why does Jesus find it so important to do this? It's one of the interesting facts of the gospels that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven, hell, and prayer. <laughs> so, so why? And I think two reasons. Jesus knows the human heart. He knows that if you address topics of money and possessions, Right underneath that is often the deepest desires of the human heart and underneath that often the greatest insecurities of the human heart. And I think second because Jesus also knows not only the tendencies of the individual human heart but also the tendencies of human society as a whole. So switch with me just for a brief minute to the Old Testament. Have you ever wondered why in the nation of Israel God instituted the year of Jubilee? Like every 50 years, there was to be a forgiveness of everybody's debts, a release of slaves and servants, and uh, a reorientation of property and wealth according to the needs of each individual family unit. Have you ever wondered why God instituted that in Israel? Well, there's, there's a couple reasons that we get in the Old Testament. One is simply that God owns everything, and he wants his people every 50 years to be reminded that everything belongs to him and to rest in that fact. And then the second thing is, is there's just this fundamental tendency in fallen human society for wealth to accumulate unequally, for for, uh, the sharing of wealth to be unequal. And so every 50 years, there's this implicit awareness in the Old Testament, the balances need to be reset in this nation because human sinfulness is such that there is gonna be inequality and injustice, and if it goes unchecked, that's not going to be good for human society. And so there's this sense, even in the Old Testament, that when God knows the tendencies, not only of the individual human heart, but he knows the tendencies of societies and how they tend to function, and he knows that the allure of possessions, now, this is important, in the Bible, money and possessions in and of themselves are never intrinsically evil. They're always seen as gift from God. Something that is can be profoundly good, but with them, there's always great temptation. So when God comes in the flesh, he speaks to this area of human life and society that he knows we need his healing. And he addresses it. And in chapter 12 of Luke, he does it through this story he addresses this common cultural assumption. Notice it's somebody from the crowd, not one of his disciples in this instance, but somebody from the crowd. So Jesus addresses this common cultural assumption that life consists in the abundance of one's possessions. Someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here's the context. A common family dispute over how you're gonna divide The possessions of somebody who has died in your family Um, this is the stuff that tears families apart (laughs) I'm sure every one of us has personal experiences I do on both my my mother's side and my father's side of somebody dying and within 24 hours of their death people arguing bickering giving each other the silent treatment not being willing to share meals with each other gossiping and slandering all over what that person has left behind in the bank account No sooner has a loved one died than a family can start arguing about their assets. And it makes one wonder sometimes, did did we actually love this person? (laughs) Or, Or was it what they owned? But I think there's often something even deeper underneath that. I wonder sometimes if the pursuit of this person's assets is in part about seeking to soothe ourselves in the middle of grief. If I get something out of this loss, maybe this loss won't feel so meaningless. But people soon discover that money is a poor substitute for relationships. (laughs) And greed, uh, ineffective balm for the wounds of grief. So Jesus is dragged into this common family dispute over how the spoils are going to be divided of a deceased family member. And Jesus responds first in verse 14 by just saying, I didn't come to do this. This isn't. This isn't my role. (laughs) He says to the men, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And then second, Jesus responds in verse 15 by saying, there's actually a deeper issue underneath this issue that I wanna talk about with you. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness or, or greed. So there's a desire under this dispute. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So it's as he, Jesus says, there's a dispute here, but underneath that dispute is a more fundamental desire, a, a disordered one in this case. And then underneath that desire is a fundamental worldview or a misunderstanding of the deep and true meaning of what life is actually about. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus was here speaking to modern millennials if he would rephrase it differently. (laughs) Life does not consist in the abundance of your experiences and travels. Or life does not consist in the abundance of your uh, Twitter followers and YouTube views and Facebook likes. Or if Jesus were speaking to a group of academics and students, there's a few of us here, maybe he would say life does not consist in the abundance of your books or accolades or in the quality of your GPA. And then Jesus tells the story to drive the the point home because he knows we're not just proposition people, we're imagination people. So he tells the story. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully one year. And this man thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. What should I do with this plenty? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have many ample goods laid up for many years now. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's a half quote from Ecclesiastes. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's three little details I'd like to draw your attention to in this story that Jesus spins. The first detail is that the man is already rich. (laughs) We see this in verses 16 and 17, he saves what he does not need. So the parable begins by describing this man as a rich man and it says he has a bumper crop, but before that bumper crop, he already owned the land and he already had barns that were full of crops. That's why when he had a bumper crop, he had to build bigger barns (laughs) to fill them fuller. And so we're told from the beginning that this man saves what he doesn't need. So it's important to get this straight. Like who is Jesus addressing in this parable? It's not the subsistence farmer or just like the hourly wage person who uh, is making a certain amount in one summer and is saving up to make sure that they can get by when winter comes. Who Jesus is addressing here is the person who is already wealthy and has had the fortune of gaining more wealth But they do not use it to meet the needs of others But rather to secure a particular lifestyle for themselves. We'll get to that in verses 18 and 19 But before we go there just a quick word because if you're anything like me One of the things you do when Jesus starts telling stories like this is you have this implicit reflex to be like I'm not really like You know uh, that that's not really me and and you can have this sense this internal dialogue where you start talking about the differences between you and the particular per character that jesus is addressing because then it kind of lets you off the hook of the sharp edge that jesus puts on things sometimes i remember one time when i was working um, doing construction and painting while i was going to seminary over the summers i would spend four months doing construction and painting and i loved every moment of it By the end of it, I was like, yes, I'm ready for the library. And then after eight months of the library, I'd be like, yes, I'm ready for the paintbrush. Um, Anyways, I made 18 bucks an hour. So this was, you know, however many years ago, and I made $18 an hour, and I felt pretty good about life at that point, because I think minimum wage was about $12 an hour, and I worked 40 to 48 hours a week for four months. I remember some one time somebody introducing me to something called the world wealth calculator or something like that Uh, It's a website you go into and type in how much do you make? Annually in a year and how does that compare to the world's wealth in a sense? so I typed in my wage at 18 bucks an hour for Four months and what that got me and I just typed it in as an annual wage and it notified me that I made more than 87% of the world's population that year And being straight up honest, for uh, a young lad who grew up in a pretty upper middle class wealthy context, um, that wage could never allow me to live where I grew up, (laughs) not even close to it. And then to discover that I still, after four months of work, was making more than 87%. And so it just made me aware, whoa, Jordan, you gotta watch the reflexes of your heart um when you take this global perspective (laughs) and, and you hear jesus speak to you here and the second detail that i want to draw your attention to is that the man's logic is just really typical common economic wisdom like save more now and live large later uh if you go to any good financial advisor you're going to get the same advice in many ways um And once you've stored up ample goods for yourself, then enjoy the lifestyle you've earned. You worked hard for it. You put in the labor. You bought the fields. You invested in the workers and the seed. You deserve it. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, is what we hear in verses 18 to 19. And the way Jesus tells the story is is he kind of lures us in with this sense of like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. This is common economic wisdom. And then he does this whole ironic thing on us and he shows us that this is in fact a really sad and lonely way of life. Notice the repetitive presence of I and my in this internal dialogue this man's having. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my life. But in the dialogue with himself the rich man shows himself to be completely self-absorbed but not just completely self-absorbed he's completely alone there's no friends in the story there's no mentors there's no confidants there's no family there's no one to remind him that everything he has in some sense is a gift from god and there's nowhere no one to remind him that he's actually totally misunderstood the nature of his own desires like his deepest human desires are not going to be satisfied just in good drink and in good food and in leisure. Once again, there's this temptation, I think, to distance ourselves from the character in this story. But if we're honest, who of us does not struggle with this in some way, shape, or form? Um, My daughter, Annabelle, uh, she has a habit of, of just things sometimes. In particular, it's beads. She really loves beads, like beautiful, colorful beads. And so I remember one time we ran out of uh, tissues in a tissue box, and I was throwing it in the recycling. She's like, no, don't throw away that tissue box. I could store more beads in that. And I was like, no, we're not keeping the empty tissue box. you know? <laughs> uh, But I'm the same way. I remember, I remember once again in seminary, there was a year where I had to cut myself off, off from buying books. Because I realized I was having to buy more bookshelves to stuff into my otherwise very barren room in order to fit all the books I was buying, and I was buying at a faster rate than I could read. So so, like whatever it is, whether it's my six year old's beads or you know, twenty-something year old's books or or whether it's barns full of grain, there are these habits of the human heart from the youngest to the oldest that can be magnified on a variety of different scale depending on our capacity. It's the allure of more, that more is always gonna get us a lifestyle that our hearts really desire. And when we get to that lifestyle finally deep down, our restlessness is gonna find And every force in our culture, in our economy, often in our advertising is encouraging us in this direction. And sometimes the only thing that can wake us up from the dream is God intervening. And that's the third detail. God calls foolishness what is considered common wisdom. And we see this in verses 20 and 21. What we may call shrewd financial advice, Jesus just says, fool. (laughs) I mean, that is strong language. He doesn't mince his words here. He says the person that believes that security and the good life are to be found in the acquisition and storing up of more and more are badly mistaken. And it's a temptation that can plague the landowner and the peasant alike. I'm reminded of another parable. Leo, uh, Leo Tolstoy um, has this wonderful little short story that's entitled, How Much Land Does a Man Need to Live? Um, How much land does a woman need to live? And the protagonist in the story is, is a peasant. And, and he, he, he wonders at the beginning of the story, he's like, if I just had plenty of land, if I had enough land, I wouldn't even fear the devil. Um, and, and he doesn't know that the devil is is secretly in the corner of the room overhearing his conversation and so the devil goes oh we'll test this and and he becomes uh, this peasant becomes very successful farmer of the little plot of land that he does have uh, he doesn't own it but he becomes really successful and he's able to amass enough fortune to rent a much larger plot of land and and cultivate that and then amass even more fortune but he's frustrated at the end even though his business is going so well that he doesn't own the land he's on he's only renting it but he hears of this this family this group of people called the bash Uh they are simple-minded people who live some distance away but they own a huge amount of land And he's been told that if you're shrewd and you're nifty, you can negotiate some pretty advantageous deals with this people. So he makes his way out to this people and cuts a deal with them. And they say, yeah, we'll give you as much of our land as you can stake out by foot in one day before sunset. And we'll give it to you and you'll own it. And so the man goes on a journey and he's he's determined to get as much land as he can stake it out by sunset. It's the middle of the day. He sees the sun at the top of the sky, and he goes, ooh, I should probably turn around right now, but let me walk just a little bit further, stake out some more land. And this goes on and on until he notices the sun starting to set. And he's panicking because he's nowhere back near camp where he needs to be. And so he starts running. He just starts running. He starts sprinting back to these people, and the people are cheering him on. They're like, yes, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And just before sunset, He has a heart attack and dies and he never makes it to the finish line and the people bury him in an ordinary grave that is only six feet long and that's the answer to the question posed in the title of the story how much land does a person need to live and so it's this ironic story that Tolstoy is, is talking about. If you know Tolstoy's life, he was really disenchanted with the life of the wealthy and the rich and all the peasants that were suffering because they didn't have enough. So he went to live with the peasants and thought, surely the meaning of life is going to be found here. And he discovered that even among the peasants, the allure and temptation of wealth could still be felt, but just in a different way. People have a tendency to seek after more and more and to believe that that is gonna give them the rest and the security for which they so deeply long. And Jesus just calls a spade a spade. It's foolishness, he says. To make life about the abundance of possessions that you cannot keep is meaningless. Naked we came into the world and naked we will go. And so there's a vanity to wealth the second you try to cling to it. But he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's a quote from somebody. I forget who it is. Maybe one of you can tell me afterwards who? Jim. Jim Elliott. Thank you. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so i think what jesus is getting at in in an uncompromising but i think ultimately gracious way is that understanding the temporality of wealth and understanding the temporality of our lives is important to being wise with whatever god has given us to steward in this life israel said in our adult discipleship class just outside this he said may we in our present remember the meaning of the end And when we're at the end, may we remember the meaning of being in the present. And so at the end of the parable, we're left with this juxtaposition about what does it mean to be rich towards self and what does it mean to be rich towards God? And we're left with one of these really searching questions, is the question I come away with is, Lord, what does it look like for me to be rich towards you? What does it mean to be rich towards God? And for that, I think Jesus gives us kind of two simple little answers as he goes on in the rest of Luke chapter 12 teaching. He turns to his disciples and he says, hey, I want you to know a couple things. The first is don't be anxious about your life, (laughs) about what you will wear and about what you will eat. He said, you have a father in heaven who already knows what you need. And that father's taking care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and all these things. And that father loves and cherishes you. So don't worry about your life. And I think one of the things that Jesus is trying to acknowledge for us is is that um, we don't have to be concerned with our own security. (laughs) God's doing that. And when we find ourselves secure in God caring after us, then it frees us up to be more concerned with the security of others. And that's the second kind of piece of advice that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. Jesus literally says these words. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's a direct quote from Jesus. And I think it's a direct commentary on what it means to be rich towards God. Because in Proverbs chapter nineteen, uh, the wisdom of the wise is whoever is generous to the poor is lending to God. And Jesus in Matthew chapter twenty-five, right? He says, "Come, all who are blessed by my Father, to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world." And and he said. I was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty you gave me a drink i i I was a stranger and you welcomed me in and and these people that he's welcoming into his kingdom are like well lord when did we see you and when did we feed you and when did we welcome you and he says look whatever you did unto the least of my brothers and sisters in this life you did it unto me and so jesus has this sense that once we experience god's fatherly provision for us then we are freed up not to cling so tightly to the the gifts that he gives us and to be open-handed with provision for other people. And yet there's this weird cyclical effect of generosity is that this generosity of this life ends up with us being welcomed in the kingdom by the Father saying, this has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. It's as if to say at the heart of god before he even created anything is just this This generosity to give to his children this generosity to give and provide for his his people And when you are somebody who is who who doesn't hold tight to what you have and provides for others You are proclaiming something deeply profound About the god that you worship and the god that you follow and the god that you serve And so in a weird way, we get this parable that kind of hits us directly in the face with some hard truths about how we are oriented towards possessions and money and lifestyle. And then we discover ourselves right in the heart of God, right at the heart of the gospel. As Paul said, this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich with his grace. So my brothers and sisters, I would love to end with you with this little prayer and, uh, from our prayer book, Book of Common Prayer. There's a bunch of prayers towards the end for families. And um, there's a little prayer for families to pray for faithfulness in the use of this world's goods. It's a lovely little piece. Almighty God, whose loving hand has given us all that we possess, grant us grace that we may honor you with our possessions. And remembering the account which we one day will give, may we be faithful stewards of your bounty. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.